Roxo Media House. Welcome to Fortitude, everyone. J.W. Wilson, my co-host and buddy for life, Brenton Payne. Uh, Stop Don't say that being so remorsefully. Here. Fortitude, Brenton, where the story never dies. Don't or forget stories that. stories never die. Stories. Uh, brought to you by Captex Bank. They make all this beautiful world happen for us. They're just the best place to be. If you bank, you better be banking it, Captex. CT. If you're not, you're probably doing something wrong mm, yes and if you're doing something wrong this guy between us might actually uh pin Re- you down so might you. catch you today's yeah. show brenton is a bit of a step out for us uh we are we brought on one of our longtime friends friends of the show eddie brown he's a 12-year uh staff writer for the fourth weekly uh throughout his career as a writer he's uncovered many many issues uh, dealing with uh, government malfeasance uh today's particular topic is one of those uh back in may he wrote an article titled who's watching the judges mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that article dealt with some judicial judicial misconduct in Tarrant County, uh, and it's it's pretty heavy, Britton. So uh, sit down, hold on tight. <laughs> yeah, a lot of lot of stuff going ar- around about judges nationwide yeah, now, sure. locally. Like you be the judge, you know, no <laughs> fun intended. But um, yeah. so how do you get into this, Eddie? Like, I mean, how does this? How do you get into the investigative reporting? And then what led you kind of down this path towards? this subject so my background i don't have a college degree um in journalism my background's actually i have a music degree but i started writing for the fourth weekly um doing reviews um i wasn't doing news at first we had an editor at the time a wonderful woman uh, pulitzer prize winning journalist herself named gail reeves and i i just um i became interested in news stories and i wasn't mm-hmm. good at it at first um, but i kept trying i kept getting better um and just really loved it. It's it's an interesting way to get to know your community. Um, you feel like you're doing something really good for the community when you're uncovering these things. Um, it's just e- endlessly um, interesting um, work. So I've just it's really my passion. Okay. Did you watch a lot of news growing up? I mean, were you kind of a news junk? You know, I don't. Did think, it make an impact on your life? I don't or? think there was anything about my adolescence that pointed toward this. Okay. Um, even being a, a writer per se, mm-hmm. um, um, my background again, you know, was in music, and I thought I was going to be a, a music teacher, and I still am. Yeah. Uh, but this is a really, really uh, enjoyable um, job that I have, and yeah, I don't know. It just once I found it, I just fell in love with it. I would just say. I think I know one of the students you had for two <laughs> weeks or so. Um, you might be sitting in this room. room. I think you'll put that on the I cutting room floor. I don't, okay. follow, I don't know if I went up to that. But yes. Well, Eddie, the reason you're here today <laughs> to talk about um, who's watching the judges and article back from May, like we talked about. But before we get into uh-huh. the crux of the story, uh, please explain to the, the, our audience what, what's going on with the, the retired judge system here in Tarrant County and how that all works. Pre, uh, moving into the story you actually okay, were talking yeah. about. Okay, yeah. So... Um, Cases can be presided over by uh, retired judges, and a lot of people don't understand this system. Um, so if, if I'm an active judge, I have a career, um, and I retire, I could just just retire and never preside over a case. Or I could elect to become um, a visiting retired judge, also known as a senior judge. We'll talk about that title because it's really important. And once I meet certain qualifications um, under Chapter 74 or 75 of Texas Government Code, um, if I do all the steps involved, um, I can be requested um, for civil, criminal, family courts, depending on what my uh, previous career, what my uh, qualifications and experience um, are. So one thing that's interesting about retired judges is that they are requested. Uh, 
And in Tarrant County's felony courts, judges are randomly assigned. We're told they're randomly assigned because on Tarrant County's website, um, they say, you know, very clearly active judges are randomly assigned. There's a reason for that because you don't want a judge who chose you because they had some kind of personal vendetta. They may have known the victim, whatever. So the system is meant to be um, unbiased. Well, retired judges um, are hand selected by uh, basically their buddies. And um, it kind of undermines that whole system of, of having randomly selected judges. They're paid about $500 a day. So it's not an insignificant amount of money. Um, the active judges continue to earn their salary while their friends that they pull in are making about 500 bucks a day. Um, so that's, that's one possible issue, but the bigger issue that I found um, is two part. One is the retired judges uh, not taking their oath of office. And um, in one case, uh, there was a judge who never attained um, senior status. And that judge's name is uh, Daryl Coffey. Do you want me to go and talk about? Here's, might as well get into This well, is the big part. If I can ask, what, what was the reason for the these retired judges to come back? Was it because to just move things along more? Was it so the active sure. judge could take vacation and they yeah, could still that's keep a good the question. docket going? Yeah, you're basically right. So there needs to be a pool of um, judges who are qualified to fill in for active judges because active judges... Um, they do take time off work. They do have emergencies. Um, they do do ongoing training, educational training. And so if you just have active judges, you can't pull in another active judge. Their docket's busy. So you, you have a list of retired judges and they're like substitute teachers in, in a sense. You, okay. can, you can go on the list and, and pick this, this judge and have him or her fill in for you uh, while you're um, unavailable. So mm -hmm. that's that's I believe that's the the reasoning behind why we even have this system. How big a list is that, Eddie, of the retired judges? Excuse me. Yeah, it, it's it has um, fluctuated over the years. I've I've seen that all the lists um, in twenty fifteen it was rather long. It would be um, a couple dozen. Right now the list is a rough estimate. It's like two pages or maybe one page of of re retirees. So um, I would say maybe it's a, a rough estimate. I didn't bring the documents, but there's maybe twenty. 25 retired judges who are eligible right now. So, and a lot of them don't get assigned or maybe they don't want to get assigned. They're not all being used. There, there seems to be a small number of those um, who are actively um, being used, possibly because they're the ones that are more well-connected, right? So they, the ones that have friends who are so active, they're calling their their buddies up and you know having that person uh, earn some extra money. Mm -hmm. so. Is there, so you mentioned the randomness of it. Is there a way that the judges... Uh, similar to like a jury trial, if you have some type of um, connection there where you'll be recused from it, does that work the same way with the judicial system? Like being a judge, is that, oh, wait, I like you mentioned the scenario where, oh, you know the victim and it's random because of it. What if just randomly that judge was selected and does know, say, the victim or the whoever uh, the crime was or whatever, mm -hmm. knows somebody or something about it? Does um, did they then recuse? Like, how does that happen there? Well, it's on the, the judge. They're the ones that need to um, state that there is a conflict. And then in that case, um, they'll recuse themselves. And often retired judge, judges are brought in because of a recusal because you have kind of a, a vacancy last minute you sure. fill them in. As for, you know, are retired judges more likely to not um, be clear about uh, conflict of interest. I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure if, if they're worse at that than active judges. But that's a that's a burden that falls on judges to always mention if they know the victim or they have some kind of personal stake in the case. They should not be presiding over it. So this focus is more on 
that pool mm-hmm. of backups mm-hmm. Correct. Um, and your thoughts of being that, that there's some kind of coordination going and getting back into the system mm-hmm. based on this. Is that kind of where things are going? Absolutely. I mean, the fact that they're able to, to request their friends um, already conflicts with the county statement on its website that uh, district level courts are chosen randomly because there's this form called a re- request um, for assignments. And it's a form that, a lot of people are not aware of. It's a form that we discovered through our request for documents. Um, a lot of attorneys don't know that it exists. And I think when we even talked about that, it was something that was unknown. But the biggest thing that I found um, was this Judge Darrell Coffey, um, who was listed on 200 orders of assignments um, as a senior judge. And what we found out was that he um, was not a senior judge and he even admitted as much. Possibly he didn't understand how important that was. But the reason it is important is because only a senior judge, this is a term that only applies to retired judges, right? So it's it's a a term that means a qualified um, retired judge. That's given by the Supreme Court justice and you have to have that designation uh, to preside over cases. At that point, you become what they call a judicial officer right. um, and to f- learning about this stuff um, is difficult because there, there's no book that um, tells you the rules that judges have to play by. When I, whenever I'd reach out to um, the state commission on judicial conduct or um, even, you know, SMU school of law or um, the Supreme court justice, you find very quickly that when you're investigating a judge, people don't, reply they don't answer your questions there's it's kind At of all like there's no yeah response. It, there's, it's, it's very clear that um you're going into a territory that um you know maybe you you shouldn't be or they're afraid to comment on it so that was interesting um but in order to find out that you have to be a senior judge um i had to, to do some research into court of criminal appeal rulings which is the highest court in the land on par with the supreme court and by looking through their rulings and the way they would describe, like they described a case where there was a senior judge who had his uh, entire ruling overturned because he did not gain senior judge status until after he had ruled. He retired, he assigned himself to a case, presided over it, and then got senior um, judge status. And so that whole ruling was overturned. So I know from that and the language they use, um, the Court of Criminal Appeal use uh, very clear language that says any ruling that's done with before you gain the title of judicial officers null and void so what matters for tarrant county is that um i have 200 documents that show daryl coffee was assigned to um, 200 plus criminal cases mm-hmm. in some instances um, felony cases in one instance a gentleman was sentenced to life in prison and you can only imagine um, everything in between and so right now there are people in prison um who were presided over by a judge who should never have presided over cases and in a system that knew he was not qualified. So the reason I can, I can, our reporting shows that the administrative judge for the region, David Evans, knew Coffey was not a senior judge. It's because on the public list that these judges are given, you know, the list of retired judges they can choose from, it always listed Daryl Coffey as a non-senior judge. 2015, 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, up to this year, he's correctly listed as non-senior. The reason they had to say that publicly is because someone might see that, maybe the Supreme Court Justice uh, would see that and would catch the error. 
But privately, he was assigned under this false title. Basically, there were appears they were covering for him, and in the process, he may have made hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars um, presiding over cases that he should not have presided over. So, you know, I want to emphasize it wasn't. It appears it wasn't a mistake or over or, or um, a lapse of, of judgment. It was a system that was allowed to persist for seven years, where judges knew that he was not qualified. The administrative judge knew he was not qualified and he was continually assigned to criminal cases that in some cases landed people's life uh, in prison. Was he presiding over the cases or he was he was assigning another uh, retired judge? Daryl Coffey was judge? sitting, um, good question, Daryl Coffey was sitting on the bench okay. presiding, ruling over cases. And so if there is a case where a judge was, judge was not constitutionally qualified, uh, there's a lot of precedent that shows that ruling is uh, void. So these people, it's up to some 200 maybe you would say? I know it's at least two, there's, I have 200 plus documents that are assignments that he was given over right. several years, which is a lot. So he was, much, he, yes. he was pretty busy Wouldn't, as a retired if judge. If you were though like a lawyer in one of those cases and you, you kept losing or the, the, the um, verdict didn't go your way. Correct. Wouldn't a lawyer have brought this up, right? Like, I mean, is this where you got the story idea from or how did that? It appears that no attorney at any point um, ever really understood the complexities of, of what we're talking about today. Um, I don't, no judge, sorry, no attorney, from what I can tell, ever realized he wasn't a senior judge. The whole system is so um, somewhat convoluted and complicated, and it's not something that's well known, and that's rather uh, appears to be intentional. Um, so the attorneys didn't know. And also, it's, it's important, you know, a lot of uh, defendants and attorneys, when you walk into a courtroom and something as serious as a, you know, a felony case, you assume your judge is qualified to be right. here. Just like you would assume a doctor is about to, to perform surge, surgery on you is qualified to something at that level. People tend not to question. And what we're finding is that there's a lot of botched and falsified documents behind the Tarrant County Judiciary um, that people maybe shouldn't trust them as much as they have historically. Well, but, but you know, your question earlier mm -hmm. was a great one. What, what brought you to this case? How did this, how did this information find you? And what, why did you want to pursue this? Somewhat stumbled upon it. Um, I was following a trial in January of this year for a former former justice of the peace named Jacqueline Wright. Um, she had reached out to me. And I knew some of the de details about her case, and I found it to be very unusual. That's kind of its own story. Mm -hmm. So I attended her attended her trial. Um, saw Daryl Coffey preside. Uh, she did not know that this retired judge was going to be sitting in, on her case. Um, so again, at the time, she assumed he was qualified. And then I was actually contacted. Um, shortly after by a gentleman in Austin who follows judges very closely. That's his thing. He's a, a government watchdog. And he alerted um, me to the fact that this uh, judge had not filed his oath of office at the beginning of that trial. And that's kind of a, a separate topic. Um, I'll try to summarize it very quickly. Retired judges, their oath of office is, is dead. So as an elected or appointed official, uh, you have an oath of office that you take. It, it survives the term of your office and then it dies. And we know that because um, you have to retake your oath of office. If the president's reelected, he doesn't just float through, float by with his previous oath. He retakes right. the oath. And there's a lot of court um, rulings that have affirmed that. So we know judges that are retired, they don't have an active oath of office that they can just carry around in their pocket. It doesn't mm -hmm. exist. And so they're supposed to take their oath of office with each assignment. That's been the, 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 historically, that's how it was done. 
and retired judges have um, consistently failed to do that. And there seems to be a concerted effort on their part to avoid this constitutional requirement. And I have, you know, um, a, a theory, and actually it was presented by this gentleman in Austin, that the retirement system, and I've looked this, I looked this up, the retirement system for retired judges pauses when you file your oath of office. And so by not filing their oath of office, they're able to continue to earn retirement while they're making $500 a day. Um, some would say that's double dipping on the taxpayer's money. But they, that's definitely a benefit they get from not finding their, their oath of office. And I think that's the best mm-hmm. um, theory I have right now. Um, but that's what started this whole thing. At the beginning, I didn't quite know what a senior judge was. I knew some judges were called senior, some didn't. I didn't realize how important it was until um, I eventually stumbled upon a Supreme Court of Criminal Appeal ruling um, in, ni- in the early 90s that clearly stated that judges have to have this title, retired judges. And right. if they don't, um, their rulings are overturned. And in that case, um, this huge uh, civil case uh, was overturned. What's the qualifications for becoming a senior judge? So any mm-hmm. retired judge, you have senior judges and then non-senior, right? Like, or just Well, most regular. of them, it's interesting, on the list, most of them, 98% of the judges on the, the list that we're talking about are senior judges, which What's makes that, sense. What gets you a senior okay. judge? So it's a two, good question. It's a two-step process. Um, we're going to call it Chapter 74, Chapter 75, which is what it's listed under under Texas government code. Chapter 74 is when you reach out to your administrative judge of your region and you say, um, I qualify, I meet the qualification to be on your list because of X, Y, and Z. I've never been disciplined by the Commission on Judicial Conduct. Um, you know, kind of obvious things. I imagine, you know, having a, a clean criminal history, having served a certain number of years. You can't just be a judge for a year and then retire and, and get into the system. So you have to meet certain qualifications. And then once you've done that, you alert the Supreme Court Justice that you have met these qualifications and you, and you ask to be uh, become a judicial officer. And that's actually the term they use in these, in these formal letters. And then the judge uh, probably just makes sure that you have qualified. And it's a pretty straightforward process. You get a letter back in the mail from Nathan Heck that says you are now a senior judge. Okay. And you have to have that title to preside over cases. Daryl Coffey never sent that letter. So the the magnitude of what your what your your article is the crux of it is that these people that were incarcerated been been incarcerated mm-hmm. have a potential appeal opportunity yes. and because this judge was not qualified to make these rulings uh, before we dig into that a little further as an investigative journalist Eddie what who are you going when you're digging this story up are you approaching Judge Coffee in the Tarrant County DA's office and who all are you seeking out and who how much how much help are they offering you? I'm curious about on your steps of getting to the bottom of this, what you had to go through to get there. So in these kinds of stories, um, I'm necessarily doing research that undermines the credibility of our criminal justice system. Right. And so the more serious the story is, the less uh, cooperation I, I generally expect to get and, and, and the less cooperation I do get. Um, the district attorney's office um, has ignored um, this information. I know that they are aware of it because I've done open records requests because I want to see what they're talking about. And I, I know that Sharon Wilson has uh, been updated on, on this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, David Evans, um, the, the judge who signed all these documents um, fraudulent, fraudulently, um, has refused to comment on it. So, so he has ignored my requests. Um, and considering that he created the situation, I, I feel like he owes people some kind of answer for what happened. But um, that's not going to happen. Um, Daryl Coffey did talk. To, we we uh, emailed several times. Um, initially, 
um, well, I guess I, those were private emails, so I don't want to talk about that. But he he did he 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 definitely did. Uh, you have to write off the record on him or something like that. I'm kind of being a facetious there. He's always allowed to do that, but be- mm-hmm. because the emails were kind of personal nature, yeah. um, I don't want to go into go into that. Um, we did publish some statements that he that he said, um, and he did want to defend himself. Um, it wasn't a very good defense. His defense was that I never um, portrayed myself as a senior judge. Um, so he said, I never said I was a senior judge, and he showed me cards that you know say retired. And I don't think he under I don't think he understood how bad that sounds because. He, he apparently doesn't know what it means to be a senior judge. Well, what what does it? Um, you know, we talked about what you needed to do to get to be one. Mm-hmm. But then is it just kind of like a senior pilot where you get all the good, you know, the good sp- flying uh, gigs, <laughs> like the, all the junior pilots pick, you know, these times and you get to bump them and get the, the cush day spots, not fly through the night? It like, sounds, what, what is it? it? It sounds fancy. The term, t- uh, sorry, the title senior sounds very fancy. Um, it's really a pretty straightforward process um, that just means that you're allowed to preside over cases as a retired judge. I don't think there's any special perks amongst retired judges to become a senior judge mm-hmm. other than you have to be a senior judge to make any money as a retiree, to make this extra money, I should say. Yeah. Oh, but you could yeah. be a retired judge and then just, what, you just don't get the money? That's It's strictly a financial You can thing. also just be a retired judge that pulls in uh, from the retirement plan Mm-hmm. But you're not presiding over cases for extra money, and the system it looks the system looks like it was intended to not allow this double dipping. So yeah. again, you know the the way the the rules were set up, um, from what I've read, once you go back to work as a you know, as a senior judge, you're supposed to notify the retirement system, and they they say tell us the dates of your trial beginning and end, and they will pause your retirement, which you know sounds fair. You're going back to work, you're making money. Uh, just let us know, you know, when you're going to be working, and mm-hmm. we'll pause your. But they appear to have found a way to circumvent that by just never telling people that they're going back to work. But then, why did they? I mean, even do this is kind of mm-hmm. going to get stuck on it. But then it's like, why would they have the senior judge incentive there? Were they like out of retiring judge? You know, it's like, what was the point in then putting that moniker on to pay? these folks like were they not getting enough retired judges like oh it was like a jury deal we're like we can't find Hmm. anybody because nobody wants to come back and do it especially for free you know kind of thing is that what was happening that they needed a way to to i would say that's a good theory and actually i haven't dug uh back that far and why they created that system yeah but the benefits i mean it's it's more than just money for some for certain judges they are retired they really enjoyed the work they want the ability to go back and, and preside over Big, they can preside over big cases sometimes mm-hmm. because they're no longer limited to their old courts. Um, Daryl Coffey, for instance, was a misdemeanor judge, but as a senior judge, he presided over many uh, felony cases, which he never would have been allowed to do as an active judge. Mm-hmm. So there are certain incentives. Some of them have to do with pure, maybe pure ego reasons, you mm-hmm. know, because you're, you're, you have a title, you can go back and oversee a murder case. You've never gotten to do that. There is a hierarchy for judges. Mm-hmm. I mean, they may not admit it, but district judges are. Um, you know, they probably see their positions as more important than, you know, your DWI misdemeanor judges. And they probably think they're more important than the justice of the peace and, and so-and-so. So this system allows these judges to jump around and try different trials that never would have uh, had access to as an active judge. Again, making extra money. I think the original system was fair where they were expected to pause their retirement for a couple of days at a time. 
Um, but they don't, they appear to not be abiding by that agreement anymore. Eddie, you, yeah. uh, so, um, your story, and I've read it several times, it's, you offer some very compelling evidence to support this argument you're making here today. What, what is your, what is your end goal in all this? What do you hope to see happen? Is it the obvious, get these people a, a retrial, get them out of jail, see Judge Coffey, uh, I mean, let, let go to some extent? What, he, what are you trying to get out Yeah, of and he is not being assigned anymore. Right. Uh, I know that, I, I know that much. This is more of a of a of a, a personal statement that I'll that I'll make because I'm you know I'm here as a, um, a reporter but I'm also um, a person I'm also um, you know a U.S. citizen someone who cares about this community I have a social conscience as you guys do so and I'll speak from that point of view um, these defendants deserve uh, some kind of relief for what happened. If, if it were simply an oversight that uh, someone misfiled some paperwork, um, one could argue ethically that there's not a moral obligation to fix this. Mm -hmm. But um, as we found, there was a concerted effort to cover up his false title by a lot of people, um, not just David Evans, but all the judges who requested him would have known from the list that he's not qualified to preside over cases and, and they allowed it to happen. Um, so from that point of view, there is a, there is a moral obligation of um, the, the judiciary to fix this problem. These defendants, you know, many of whom are languishing in prison, they have no idea that their case was bogus. It was, it was all something that was set up to help this judge make some extra money um, so his buddies could, you know, um, bring him on and whatever favors went back and forth with that, that whole system. Um, so to answer your question, you know, one of the reasons that I'm, very adamant about getting this story out. We've published it, but that reaches so many people. I want to reach other people. Is because this county needs to fix fix this. They need to fix it. Makes is sense. it your thought, Eddie, that like almost it would be like um, kind of a good cop, bad cop? Like me ask you know asking my wife like, hey, I, I need the you know the the real stern person to come in like on this. Is, is your thought that they would kind of some of this would be calling a judge in like, I need you to handle this one because I need this kind of uh, verdict on this deal. It, it, are you going that coordinated with it or, or are you just- There's a couple There's a couple ways to answer that. Like with, with Coffee, um, he, he was strictly a misdemeanor DWI judge. And so he also, I will say, he, the people I've talked to, as far as his career as an active judge, he had a very, very good reputation. Yeah. So I mean, there is people would have brought him in for different reasons. Um, they might have brought him in because they know him um, personally. They might have brought him in because they thought he did a good job as an active judge. Um, more broadly, retired judges, from what I've seen, oh, that's that was our first weird. book fall. Oh, okay. Is there, there must some be poltergeist action. Mm -hmm. Someone's upset. Mm -hmm. There's no, no uh, angry ghost <laughs> judges going after my hope. Uh, retired judges, they get assigned to a lot of very um, controversial cases from what I've noticed. And we've looked into this. Um, some of them have involved exonerating uh, people who committed um, murder, like like outright. There was a story um, in South Texas. There was a gentleman who shot a young black um, 19, 18 year old boy in the neck, cold blood. A retired judge comes in, finds him not. Uh, I shouldn't say he did. The jury did. but He presided over the case. Um, there was a case of a. Uh, um, someone who is believed to have been innocent, uh, who was on death row and he, uh, he was executed by the signature from the signature of a retired uh, senior judge. And so 
they do seem to be given, I'll just say maybe the dirty cases, you know, there's some stronger words, but there's something, something interesting going on with, with why they're being picked for, for certain. And if I'm an active judge and I see, I see there's a case on my docket, uh, it has a lot of um, ethically compromising. I know there's a lot about it that, you know, maybe the defendant was set up or there was some questionable police work involved. I might just want to back out and call in a retired judge. So that might be part of the reason why we why we see that. You, yeah. you mentioned that Judge Coffey's no longer being assigned. Has anything else come since your story was published in May? And obviously this is going to recharge some of that, we hope, because we have a, and our listeners, I'm sure they're, they're going to want to know some more stuff about this. But has anything further come from this story since uh, besides the Judge Coffey assignment? Uh, you just mentioned? So um, our reporting did lead to some of his assignments being canceled. Um, there was a June assignment um, as this stuff was getting known. Mm-hmm. Uh, all his assignments were pulled. Right. Um, my understanding is he's no longer active in the area. I don't think any judge would uh, want him or, you know, mm-hmm. with, with, with what's um, happened. Um, as far as action has, has gone from the part of the government to fix the situation. Uh, there's been no movement. Um, there are, there are, I should say there are other people besides myself who are working to raise awareness of this with the Supreme court justice, right. people in Austin, um, the ACLU, uh, right. different groups, you know, and I'm trying to help people, um, enable people to, to do something as well. Well, here's, here's yeah. the really scary part. Um, that there's 200 plus people sitting in, in a correctional facility right now that um, ha- I, I got to believe they have a reason or a an opportunity yeah. to appeal. Uh, yeah. That being said, I mean, what what ha- needs to happen there? Because I'm not saying that Judge Coffey or whoever sat there that wasn't qualified made the wrong decision or helped the guy get put in prison. But these people are in jail. If they had this information in front of them, I got to believe they would play that card. Yes. Would they not in... If, if one of them were to hear this or a family member, doesn't that open up a whole new situation where? Yeah, I imagine if I could magically uh, inform the family of 200 people what happened, they would collectively file a lawsuit or you know, something would happen. But um, part of the problem, it's, it's complicated to find who, th- these defendants' names. Um, I personally think the first thing that needs to happen if, if, if the government did its job is that they have an obligation to contact these defendants. They know the names, they know the, mm-hmm. the addresses, they know what prisons uh, these folks were in and, to, and, and inform them, give them this basic information, give them a form for a writ of habeas corpus, which allows you to appeal your case, uh, give them the documents uh, to do at the very least. That's, that's step one. You know, the more important step would be to just offer a retrial mm-hmm. or if, if, there, if it warrants it, you know, drop the case altogether. But so I mean, kind of back to, I mean, if I'm like um, a defender of those folks, I would think I would be the first one. I mean, you like when you talk about two, like a, that's a lot of people, a lot of cases. Wouldn't the um, the person defending it be the first one? I mean, I would think if I'm a lawyer and you know doing my job and doing it to the best of my ability, and I'm publicly defending somebody. I would be the first one to to call this out, and there, I think, that hasn't yeah. happened at Correct. all. Correct. Yeah. Do you think it's because there's because they're part of the game too? Like, I mean, like that's part I of think the system. The defense, you, I think the defense attorneys of all these um, defendants definitely would like to know what happened. Um, what they would do with that information depends. You know, I hate to 
break it down to money. But if, if these people are in prison, they don't have the money to pay a retainer for legal counsel and attorneys have to be paid to work. Um, I am reaching out to some defense attorneys. I do think there should be interest within the, the defense attorney community uh, to know about this because there were a lot of attorneys who um, tried to defend their, their clients and didn't have this information. And again, like as you said, they should be the first to know about this because they also would know what the remedies are. But then again, the other thing is these defendants by this point, um, they no longer have assets. You know, they've, they've spent their money defending themselves by this point. They've exhausted their appeals. So these attorneys, unfortunately, wouldn't have any clear way to get paid. But all those are kind of factors that would have to play out at some point and should play out. Has anybody yeah. in Tarrant County uh, publicly said things to the, to the negative in your, in your situation? Have they called you out for being, uh, you know, a nosy guy or a spreading slanderous lies? Have they had anybody said anything to the to the contrary of what you're trying to get to? Not to my face. Um, I did reach out to um, the prosecutor. There's there's an interesting connection with the Tatiana Jefferson case, mm -hmm. and I, I believe I, I I was reaching out to some assistant district attorneys to let them know that uh, this retired judge um, didn't take her oath of office and she was making a ruling related to this ongoing trial. And I, the, the message that was relayed back to me was that I don't know what I'm talking about. So. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure they all, I'm sure it depends on, you know, who stands to win or lose uh, with the information I have, right? The people mm -hmm. who stand to lose a lot, they probably would like to discredit, but um, everything that I have found is well-documented. Right, so ongoing still as well, Eddie, the investigation still moving forward. I mean, is there more to uncover? You mentioned talking to the defense attorneys. Is there more yeah. people that need to be involved in this? I think public awareness is, is a big part of this. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think at some point, maybe this will start gaining speed as um, families of these defendants start recognizing the name Coffee, um, defense attorneys, once they start talking and realize like, oh, I, you know, I preside over a case, I have an interest in um, addressing this. There is a defense attorneys um, association in Tarrant County and they can make this, they can make a public stink if they care to, you know? And it, it, once you reach that kind of level, then maybe you'll finally have some traction. Um, but the other side wants this to go away. They want to ignore this away. And I, I very much, am, I'm very much aware of that, um, which is why I'm kind of stubbornly, you know, um, looking into this and, and, and speaking to folks like you. Um, as far as, you know, new, this has opened up, you know, the proverbial can of worms because once, now that I know how this works, I can look for inconsistencies elsewhere. Um, if they were doing this for coffee, they're definitely um, likely covering for other judges as well who aren't qualified. Um, so one thing I did, and it, it doesn't take rocket scientists, um, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand this. I went through the list of who's not a senior judge, and there are four judges um, in Tarrant County who are not senior judges. They're listed as non-senior, right? Mm -hmm. And then I asked for all their assignments within the past six months. And I already know from what I've received so far that there are 167 pages um, that are coming my way eventually. And so if... And I've reached out to the Supreme Court. They have a very good spokesperson who actually always responds um, to ask if these folks um, ever requested to be senior judges. And they may have. I don't know yet. Um, it looks, it's looking like we might have some other situations where we had um, non-senior judges being placed on criminal courts, probably, again, falsely listing them as senior judges. But I'm going to find out, you know. And when I find out, you guys will find out. Fantastic. So... Do you, um, you know, you mentioned uh, kind of discrediting and the information were kind of, I mean, not to like par mm -hmm. this info war, you know, I mean, you're, you're 
spending <laughs> time digging up stuff that is contrary to most people's just normal lives kind of moving through that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, where do you see the media and yourself in this? Like what, what is it that you're trying to accomplish here? Is this for, for, for trying to get those 200 convicted folks, um, you know, what you would deem as a fair shake? Is it to, um, you know, the timing of it is here we are in almost September before a November, uh, midterm election, you know, like, is there aspects of that? I mean, and I think those are tough to answer yourself because we're all influenced mm -hmm. by all of the sure. things around us. You Absolutely. know, I mean, today I could be yeah. influenced by the way he was acting earlier rather than the way I was, whatever you know, the up. case may be. But so what is it that, um, that, that you feel the media's or your part is in, in this kind of discussion and kind of who benefits most from it, I guess. So I want to, answer that a couple of ways. One is um, I can only speak for myself and I can only speak for um, my newspaper. And while the media has a, has a kind of a collective um, job and uh, mandates, um, they're also very different. And so I could, you know, I, I honestly wish other local uh, publications looked at the stuff that I'm looking at. I, I think these are the things that really matter because if you're just doing superficial um, reporting, you know, ribbon cutting type stuff, that doesn't help our society become uh, more protective of civil rights. Um, the kind of stuff that, that, that we look into at, at the fourth weekly, I think it really, really matters to the readers because it affects um, their freedoms, how they interact with government, uh, government accountability, to what extent, you know, will the government ever um, change and become more accountable to the people? Um, so I, it's important work. I don't know if, if, if my work has really changed over the years, other than to say that it's, I, I do feel like I'm constantly um, inundated with just the, the craziest um, news story, st news stories that I, that I hear about. And it's mm -hmm. always more than I can uh, have time to report on, if that, if that makes sense. But that's because things are uh, particularly bad right now in Tarrant County, especially on the, the county level with how they're operating and uh, how they are or aren't operating within the law, so. Why do you think that is? You think that goes from uh, up above or you think it's just because they've managed themselves for so long? Like, what do you think the impetus of that is? It's a lot of factors. You have an older, um, the elected officials on the county are, are older they, they have a different mindset. Um, they're more entrenched in their positions. They've been there longer. They probably feel more like they have more um, stability. And with that, you, you end up having more arrogance and, and kind of um, a lack of accountability. Our city council, I think, is great. You know, we have a, a youngish city council, um, very diverse, you know, um, really reflects the population. But if you, looked at, if you look at our city council and you look at who are the leaders at the county level, you can just you just see you just see the difference. So they're just they're just from a different generation, and I think the country is moving in a certain way where we expect more of our elected leaders, and they're very much just stuck in the way they've done things for forty years. Maybe that's the best answer I have. Well, I so. I admire you, Eddie, because it's <laughs> got to take a certain level of courage to to go after the system itself. I mean, you're going after some pretty powerful folks. You know, we're not here to take a side one way or other, but we do we do appreciate someone who spends time and learns and does the, does the due diligence to get to the heart of a matter 
And if that is the case, mm-hmm. I think this is an incredibly powerful story you put together. Uh, is there a way that people can stay current with, with what you're doing in this story with you, in regards to you? Yes, and we're going to keep like we, we may we may publish something online today that's related to this because we keep finding new things out, um, not just about coffee, but of course judges in, in general and in, in Tarrant County. But uh, to answer your question, the easiest way folks can find out is they can go to fwweekly.com mm-hmm. and uh, click on news. We of course we do music, food, all that kind of fun stuff. But if, you, if you're interested in news, click on news, uh, feature, um, metro. And static is our editorial section, so you'll have more of our, our opinion language kind of stuff there. But we always disclose um, our opinion pieces and our straight reporting pieces. Is as there well. anything else on the story you'd like to share before we end the show? Because I mean, we've left a lot on the table there. Not not that it needs mm-hmm. to be solved here today, but there's some people in behind bars that, mm-hmm. that probably uh, you know have some 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 work to do, right? We would like to know how this story goes. If something comes of this down the road, we'd love to continue yeah. the story. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, I appreciate the time being here. This is anything else that you could share with us before we go. Last thing, if if you know an elected official, even if it's at whatever level of government, just when you see them next, uh, mention this story. Just say you have concerns about these um, defendants that were deprived of their constitutional right to a, a fair trial. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to take the time to email or write a letter, it's, it's worth it. You know, whatever you think of people who are in prison, they're human beings and they deserve a fair trial. Mm-hmm. And these people were not given that and they deserve that. Um, and they'll deserve it until someone gives it to them. It doesn't necessarily mean they're not guilty. Correct. We're not saying they're innocent, yes, but right, we're right. saying we have, we have certain institutions and certain beliefs in this country. You're innocent until you're proven guilty. Um, you, have, you have right to a, a free and fair trial. We have certain things that we're, that we are given constitutionally, and this really gets to the crux of that. And is the government going to going to fix this or not? Mm-hmm. Does is this happening anywhere else throughout the country? Like where these type Probably. of kind of technicalities are getting stands f- to reason, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's safe to say. I, th- I think people don't dig into judges in, in, in the at all, and so that's mm-hmm. probably the case, unfortunately. So. All right, Eddie Brown, staff writer for the Fort Wiggy. Thank you for talking about this. Yeah, this is a thanks very for having interesting, me. Uh, yeah, situation. sorry, it's pretty heavy. I know you guys it's are going to go home and take a shower. That's right. That's right. I'm just <laughs> glad we weren't named home. in the story. At least. No, so, no. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to CapTex Bank for making all this happen. Uh, Mike Thomas, we know you're out there. Thanks for watching, buddy. Thank we you. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for being on Fortitude, Eddie. We appreciate you. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you. Roxo Media House.